But Andrew Bogut, thank you for uh, coming on Based Podcast, Based with Senator Alex Antic. Can't think of anyone who's more based than you, I've got to say. Certainly not in sport terms. Um, sort of fits the, fits the podcast description pretty well. So I've been saying for a long period of time, actually, one of the things we need in politics are people with a bit more spine, but that applies to sport as well and applies to all parts of life, I think. You know, entertainment, movies, TV, you name it. What, what do you, what's your, I mean, you know, your sort of snapshot background, your mum and dad were born great part of the world in Croatia. My dad was born in Belgrade in Serbia, so we should probably be arguing at the moment, but we're probably going <laughs> to... We should have a referendum. Do- yeah, that's it. Uh, but, uh, but, and I think I came here in the 70s and you, you obviously you grew up an, an Aussie kid playing a bit of footy. What happened? How come we lost, the AFL lost you to, to basketball? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I, I grew up playing a little bit of AFL, but um, I just fell in love with basketball. I mean, basketball in the 90s in Australia yeah. was kind of picking up. Um, it was on Channel 10, I remember it. And yeah, just always had a fascination with throwing a ball through a hoop. And um, I played, I, I liked footy, but you kind of have to. Growing up in Melbourne, you kind of have to have a team yeah. and play a little bit of footy at school. But um, it never was, I was 80% interested in footy, but 120% interested in basketball. So it all kind of yeah, um, yeah. went that way. A lot of people think I play basketball just because I was tall, but it wasn't the case. I, I genuinely love the game from a young fella. What is, you stopped playing footy at, well, yeah, you sort of continue to play footy while you're playing basketball as a kid. And you just sort of, I mean, there would have been some AFL scouts, I reckon, looking around for, for a signature at some point at seven foot. I mean, you know, that would have been a pretty handy. Yeah, I was uh, seven foot at, at 10 though. Uh, <laughs> so, it, yeah, look, I mean, I, I gave it up pretty early. I, I did a lot of the clinics back when they were called a Vic Kick, which is now Oz Kick. So that shows my age. But um, I, did, I did a lot of stuff with that. I never played competitively um, for club. I played at school a little bit. And yeah, once I started basketball competitively, um, there was there was no time for other sports. I think I got to a point yeah. where I did I did gymnastics first because my sister I had to go to gymnastics. I hated it, um, and then I had to go and jump onto what did I do after that taekwondo. Didn't really like that, and then basketball was kind of like my parents were like, "If you choose this, this is it. We're not changing sports anymore." <laughs> I wish you could turn up on Saturday mornings and yeah. uh, change it. But so who was it? Like sporting heroes? Uh, Tony Kukoc, the great Tony Kukoc from uh, from the Bulls and others. Of course, I just finished watching the Last Dance for the second time, so I'm I'm, I'm all across it. But uh, was he was he kind of one of your idols? Yeah, I think. Look, as kids, we identify with people that look like us. Um, and Tony was a, a really um, scrawny, skinny guy. As I was as a kid, I couldn't put on weight for the life of me. And I'm like, that's my guy. Uh, looks like me. He's Croatian. <laughs> I'm Croatian background, so it all kind of fit in. Yeah. And a guy I kind of looked up to just with the way he was able to um, handle the ball and pass as a big guy was something that I identified with well. It was, it was a big deal in European uh, basketball before he we went to the Bulls too, wasn't it? He was sort of floating around causing causing a lot of commotion and uh, and uh, then hit the big time in the NBA. So I can imagine that would be the case. Um, what about AFL? Do you have any AFL heroes? Yeah, I liked uh, Gavin Wanganeen. Um I'm an Essendon mm. Bombers fan, so yeah. I grew up watching the premierships um, early on in my childhood and a big fan of Gavin Wanganeen. Um We also like Michael Long. Um, mm. you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the players that had a lot of flair I used to like identify with as a, as a young fellow. I used to just love guys that would just, you know, back themselves and try to break through a pack and, and you know, carry it themselves to the forward line and, and, and kick to the forward. So they were probably two guys I really liked. That'd be, that'd be Derek Kickett as well from that era, who was a superstar as well. Uh, Essendon guy originally went to went to Sydney. Um, but, and, and I mean, you know, you say the Bombers, pretty topical at the moment with the Bombers thinking about changing their name. Um, wokeness in sport, what's happened? I mean, how long do we have, Alex? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, 
you know, I, I started to really notice it before COVID and then it really confirmed a lot of my thoughts. I think the government's so entrenched in sports that they kind of have to take the knee. Um, you look at the AFL, the, in my opinion, the AFL, at least in Victoria, is another arm of the government. Um, yeah. And people will look at me like I'm crazy, like I'm a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but a lot <laughs> of the messaging that comes down to the AFL comes from the government. Um, and, you know, you just start to notice it more. COVID, you know, the, the COVID, they're t wearing masks on the footy field, but yet they're, they're traveling unencumbered around Australia. Um, and I speak to AFL boys and they were, even they were like, you know, we don't feel too comfortable. Like our families are locked up and locked down and we're kind of traveling through Australia like normal. It's kind of, we, we feel bad about it, you know, and, but unfortunately a lot of people in those positions just don't have, um, they don't have a say and they can't have a say. And I know their clubs uh, had meetings and the AFL had meetings during COVID saying, under no circumstances are you allowed to say anything that's contra the government and their restrictions and the lockdowns. And even if your family's struggling, we don't want you to say anything publicly because you guys are lucky. The government's letting you play. The government's letting you fly. So kind of shut the F up and get on with life. Even though some guys had family members that were suicidal that, that you know, ended up in hospital and whatnot and all that kind of stuff. So that's when I really started to realize that, you know, sport washing is, is a thing. And I think yeah. Australia is probably one of the best at um, sport washing through politics. Yeah, actually, it's a really good term. I haven't heard that. We've heard greenwashing and others, but sport washing is a really good term. I'm going to start using that now. I'm going to pinch it from you and I'll credit you for it at all, all times. I stole but it off someone, so you can steal it off me. Yeah, <laughs> it's always the way. It's everything always is stolen from someone else. Um, but, but it's really noticeable. I mean, I actually, I mean, I've been following it for years and I, you know, following the AFL in particular, watching it kind of drop off over the years and it's just become more and more noticeable. And of course it's a closed shop. It's a, you, you can't go to Europe and play AFL. You can't go to the US and play AFL. You're here, you do what you're told. And I think COVID really did, did nail that, didn't it? Like you, you could sort of see it come through, but it's been creeping in. Is it the same in the US? Like, I mean, I, my impression of the NBA is that, yeah, okay, there have been instances, but from the outside, it doesn't feel quite as affected with wokeness. Is that just me? Uh, to, it is a little bit. You have to remember the US is a massive area and, and state to state is different politics and different um, agendas. Um, and then you've got the feds, obviously, you don't have too much of a push. But the NBA has it to an extent. But I think Australia is up there in the, in the world. I think they're probably yeah. one of the one or two um, in sport washing. Honestly, I, I truly believe that. Mm. Um, and living back here and noticing what's going on and, and there's a lot of sports that are begging for funding. You know, the NBL, which I'm involved with, is one of them. You know, Netball Australia, all these kind of uh, smaller leagues that are, that are coming up, um, they need the funding. So it's like, are you going to take the knee for funding or do you want your sport to go under? And, and then they have to, they have yeah. to promote whatever, whatever the you know, in thing is with government. At one time it was COVID. They have to promote all that. They have to push all that. Even if you don't believe it, it's like the big wigs in your sporting organization, even your club are going to come tap you on the shoulder and say, that tweet you put out, yeah, like the government, the government doesn't like that, and they're they're paying for our facility, or they're letting you fly during COVID. So, just just keep your mouth shut, and you know, you talk about sport, but you see that in all walks of life. Um, I also came mm. to realize, at least in Victoria, the amount of businesses and companies that are, are dependent on the government in one way or another, whether it be government contracts, whether it be grants, whether it be COVID payments, whether it be exemptions for for more workers to come in, blah blah, the list goes on. The government's got their arm in everything, at least, at least in Victoria. Um, I think in Australia, to an extent, I just think Victoria is even further on steroids. And mm. you start to notice that. There's a lot of people that just had to shut up. And there were people, I, I had friends that were like strongly against what was going on, but they're like, it's going to cost me a government contract if I say something. And 
that's a tough one. I can't be a hypocrite. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I was towards the tail end of my career once, I, once I, all this COVID stuff happened and then I was retired. So I could freely speak out even more. Um, I was always outspoken during my career. But if I was in the midst of my career, at the start of my career, I can't be a hypocrite and say I'd be as vocal as I was today because it, I'd, have a, I'd have a massive decision to make, you know, food for my family and, a, and a, you know, a wage and all that kind of stuff and living out my dream or potentially getting that tap on the shoulder from the club or a league saying you need to shut up or you're out. It's interesting that dynamic is playing out across society, I think, in, in, in Australia now where you're seeing big business mirroring the government and government mirroring big business corporates and that sort of thing. And the, the power is getting sort of centralised in a few hands at the top of the tree while everyone else is sort of getting stepped on. And we saw that through COVID, you know, all the big end of town, the billionaires made more and the little shop down the road got stepped on. That, that is seemingly where it's going. I mean, if, you know, the, we'll get our tinfoil hats on now, but that, that really is the essence of what is a great reset, isn't it? it, it it's kind of this almost, I've been calling it communism 2.0, you know, this kind of new version of doing things and getting this one singular message through one singular source of, you know, of truth, if you like. And we're seeing that project out through sport. We're seeing it project out through the corporate sector with their ESG agenda. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting to hear you say that in Australia, because most of us have been, you know, here in Australia for the better part of three or four years and haven't haven't left, haven't gone anywhere. Um, it's hard to know, but in America, they, people were shocked. I think at what they saw during COVID. Are you getting that kind of feedback from from people, you know, friends of yours that live in the US? Were they, were they kind of shocked about? Or are they shocked about where Australia is going? Oh, during COVID, I was getting all kinds of text messages. Um, are you okay? <laughs> What's going on? We see, you know, one one minute snippet of of you know five minutes, uh, five kilometers from home. It was uh, Victoria at the time. Um, mm. All that kind of stuff. One hour of exercise. They're seeing all these stuff, and they're, they're messaging me. And, and this is, I've got, I've got friends that are high net worth individuals that are moderate. I have friends that are, you know, everyday workers. They were all like, "What the hell is going on?" We thought Australia was mm. was the, you know, we crocodile Dundee, right? Like that's what we yeah. watch. It's a free society. It's happy go lucky. Like, what's going on there with your government? Um, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Like it's, if this was done, you know, in any other time outside of a pandemic, there'd be, there'd be a humanitarian crisis essentially. Um, if you're locking people in your home and I, I think we, you know, it was, it was so easy. The fact that it was so easy to do is another concern. Um, mm. the fact that, you know, a lot of Australian people just laid down and took everything, um, as gospel from the government. You know, you got to. You have to be able to question your government. You have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to disagree with your government. You have to be able to sometimes, you know, good people break, break, you know, bad rules, right? Like it's, you know, it's like you're standing in the middle of a desert and there's a there's a there's a crossing with a red light with a red light, right? And you push the button. And there's not a car inside. Are you going to wait, you know, a minute or two for? And there's not a car anywhere. You're going to cross the road. Mm. But in Australia, we're so conditioned. You stand over there. You push that button. Oh, you can't park there. Or you can't do that. And that really you know, went crazy during COVID and it was to the click of your fingers. You've got neighbors telling on neighbors. I had a mate that went for um, his exercise. He, had, he has a big dog, right? Like a massive, uh, like a Malamute, has a newborn baby. So he's like, I can't walk them both at the same time because this dog's like pulling me like, a, like I'm on the back of a speedboat. So he took his, 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 his uh, baby for a, a walk in the stroller and came back and then left it, left it with the wife and then, and then took the dog and the neighbor came out and goes, you've had, you've had your one hour exercise today. <laughs> like that's how bad it was and you you can't really explain it to people in the u.s they're still shocked to this day when i talk to them about yeah, you guys went a little overboard with all that yeah it's, it's sort of you cast your mind back to what it was like a year or so ago and you, you actually do have to pinch yourself sometimes and i i spoke a bit to the um some u.s journos about it as well mainly because of my 
contempt for the local media here, I have to say, because I thought the best way to get message out to Aussies was to go right around the other side of the world into the US media and talk to them that way. And it seemed to work. We just don't seem to have enough journalists in this country anymore that are prepared to um, do anything other than transcribe media releases, frankly. And we know we know what happened during COVID over that period. But I mean, do you think um, from what you saw, in, you know, through that period that there's something unique to the Aussie psyche? I mean, I, I had this discussion with a few American commentators about the fact that the US was born of uh, war and trying to fight for their freedom through, uh, you know, through the independence movement in the in the 1700s. But and we didn't have that. We were sort of largely. I mean, obviously, people like you and I have roots back to a different part of the world. But for the for the better part, this country was founded on, um, you know, a penal colony and and in in the case of SA, you know, sort of free settlers. Um, I, like you've got a unique experience having seen both countries so carefully. You spent more than a decade in the US. Like, what is it about the Aussie culture you reckon that let let us do that? Um, I think it's just been too easy, too long here. I think, um, you know, the point you made at the start, US have had to have, have numerous wars and that. Now, I'm not condoning war, but they've had to they've had to fight for what they have. We haven't. Mm-hmm. You know, we've just been basically given this this great life in a beautiful country, and people are conditioned to the government knows best. The government's always got my best interests in mind. The government's mm-hmm. always right, and that's a dangerous slope. And I think the government knows that like the politicians know, they know like, you know, people are going to listen to us no matter what we do. Like we can, we can raise taxes tomorrow and say it's for something, something that's going to help them and spin it in a certain way. Like, like Victoria did, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to raise any more taxes when, when Andrews gets reelected. Right. But now there's a, there's a COVID levy on land tax, not a tax though. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a COVID levy, you know, so it's rebranded and people just buy it. They just buy it. And you're just like, man, like how can you buy this stuff? And, my father used to say Australia's coming from where he came from. He said Australia is a beautiful country that's had it very, very easy for so long. And one day reality is going to hit. And I think for the most part, you know, the Australian psyche is if you've got, you know, why sport went on in my opinion during COVID was because I think that was the one thing that would have turned a lot of people against the government in Australia. But the fact that a lot of Australians, as long as you had your fridge full of beer and your rugby league, your AFL was on sport on the weekend, you were okay. Life's not too bad. And I think the government knew that. They said, we've got to make sure sport goes on throughout all this because there might be a little bit of a riot if it doesn't. They kept sport going. I think that, you know, it's just interesting. Coming from, from a communist nation, back, a background of a communist nation, um, Yugoslavia, my parents, the stories that I heard, the things that went on there, it was, people hate to hear this and say it's, it's, it's crazy to compare. It was very similar to what was happening in COVID. Very, very similar. And my grandmother, um, Robert Sol, she's passed away during that time. You know, she, she was getting PTSD because she's like, mm-hmm. I, I saw, I saw all this growing up. Like, I saw yeah. neighbors telling on neighbors, and you got to visit that person through a piece of glass at a nursing home, and you can't hug and you can't do this in one hour visit. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, I, I, I lived this in my childhood, and um, speaking to her about it was a very, very interesting perspective because she lived in in both realms at their peaks. Yeah, I just, that's the most thing, one of the things that really stuck out for me. I mean, I went to uh, the freedom rallies here in SA. You know, there weren't a lot of us from politics that did, but I, I you know, this, this is the one issue that really lit the flame in me. And I, I think part of it is because of that, you know, lineage as well, you know, probably, and I was going to ask you that question actually, but the number of times that over the course of the last two, three, four years, or, you know, how long it's been now, generally as this has built up from people from Eastern Europe, former communist nations that have said we've seen this before we've seen it like this is why we left you know we came here poles hungarians 
Croats, Serbs, Slovenians, you name it. They, they all said it to me during that period. And it's amazing how many times I've heard that repeated. It is the same story you just made then is just incredible. People have to learn the lessons of that part of the world. They've now sort of almost come out the other end of the pipe and are doing the opposite. If you look at the Viktor Orban government in, in, in Hungary, you know, um, almost pushing back in the other direction. And we, we seemingly now are getting our turn with uh, communism 2.0, as I call it. So it's interesting. My grandma would have been the same. She, she died sort of five, six years ago. But she, the reason I'm here is because they fled from the communists. And I don't know if that's, that's you know, your story as well, but certainly she would have been appalled by what she saw, I reckon. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just a flashback. She would have had, as you say, PTSD. But just in terms of, uh, of that, um, how, do you ever get back to Croatia? Do you ever sort of take any trips over there and, and, and see the family? Have you done it since COVID? I haven't done it since COVID. I, um, mm. I, I had an apartment there on the island of Parg, um, which is off the coast of Zadar for about 10 years. Mm. Um, so every NBA off-season, problem was when I came to Australia in the off-season, it was winter. So <laughs> I didn't really have a summer. So I, I bought a place over there and I would, I would, one year I spent two and a half months there. So um, mm. talking about living on two continents, I, I felt like I've lived on three at times and I would go every yeah. off-season to Australia for about a month or two and then I'd go to Croatia for a month or two and Spent a lot of time there on, on the Dalmatian coast, whole different mentality to, to no. uh, Australia and America. Um, it's all about wine, cheese, cured meats, sitting back, taking it easy, not doing too much. I mean, they'll complain about not having money, but then the next, the next minute they'll just be sitting at a beach in a beach chair. So I kind of like the slowness of it over there and it's a, it's a bit of a different mentality. I've done the, um, the whole family tour a few times um, through the villages. My dad's from Osijek, which is kind of far inland, and my mum's from Karlovac. So... We've done all those as well, and they get pretty tough because you put on about 10 kilos in three days visiting everyone because they all cook you um, a massive feast and you, know, you just ate at the last place you visited, so you got to be careful. But, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed my time going over there. I've got family over there, um, but I, I haven't been back since COVID just because I, I didn't want to leave Australia and then get locked out because our, our government was, was, was so gung-ho on going Gestapo-ish that they you know, locked our borders. And, and even when it was open, I was like, do I go? And then three weeks later they say to snap close the borders again and I'm stuck somewhere abroad. Like I just didn't want to risk it with two young kids. So we, we stayed put um, during Australia and to be honest, it was hard enough getting, getting state to state uh, for the most yeah. part than it, you know, to even consider getting out of the country. So, so talking about COVID, what was your COVID, you know, like time like, just take us through that. I mean, you, you, um, you know, I mean, everyone's version of it was different, but you know, when, when, when did you start to think, hang on, what, What's this all about? Uh, obviously, did through you know following your Twitter feed, and as I said, fairly based stuff. You've, you've certainly got uh, your eye on the ball when it comes to the issues, I have to say. So, what, but what was it? What was it about COVID in particular, and how did it how did it play out for you? It was an interesting one for me, Alex, because I, I just I was supposed to play in the twenty Olympics. My goal was to play in the twenty Olympics and then retire, um, and then that got postponed, and I, I my back was kind of messed up. I couldn't. I knew I'd have to play another pro year to get to 21 Olympics that they moved it to, and I, I just couldn't do it, so I retired. Nice. So I went from like, you know, on a plane in an arena every day for the last 15 years to coming back to Australia and being kind of, you know, quote unquote locked in locked in your house. Um, and I struggled with it, like, like everyone. Um, but I looked at it like I'm I'm still doing okay. I've got a pool outside, um, house is nice, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I guess for the first month or two, I kind of didn't disagree with the lockdowns. I, about a, about, I'd say about a month or two, I was like, you know what? Never been in a pandemic in my life. Trust, what, trust what's going on all over the world. The news is feeding us all this stuff. 
yeah, let's lock it. It makes sense. Let's lock it down and quail the virus and then we can move on with life. And after about a month or two, I was like, this just keeps getting postponed. Like, all right, let's go three months now. Let's go four months now. And obviously it wasn't working. Um, back then I was like, well, if you're going to lock our citizens down, why not close the Australian borders then? Why not close them early? And and because and, what was happening, we had, we had lockdowns then uh, for all the, the locals and then a case would come in from overseas. And you're like, all right, logically, as, as harsh as it is, just close the borders for a month um, and let's see how it goes. But anyway, at that time, I guess when I, when I started trending with all this, it was probably mid-20, um, I got a message from a, you know, a mediating firm that brings me deals marketing deals and all this kind of stuff and came through to my pa at the time and it was uh you know can you do a psa about you know um stay safe stay in your house stay locked down blah 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 and i got the script and i looked around my house and i'm like like don't need to work don't have a don't need a salary don't need to go to work and stay locked down in my house you know nice pool Kids are fine. Wife's fine. No pressures. No bills to no bills that are overdue. No no uh, mortgages I have to pay. Like this is super hypocritical for me to do this 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 thing, mm. even though I was going to be paid for it, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Like it's just it doesn't sit right with me. I'm preaching to people that are really struggling, um, that can't go to work, that can't feed their family, that might live in a two bedroom unit now and and have two young kids and everyone's on top of each other. I know how hard that that can be within itself. You know, a man that goes to work for twelve hours a day, all of a sudden. Or a, or a woman that goes to work has their freedom, their, their, their routine. Now you're just at home stuck 24 hours straight, two young kids, all this. They don't go to school. So that, that was hard for a lot of people, right? And I refused to do it. And then I did a video about it and it kind of blew up. And people were like, see, I know, I know the government's paying people. And I don't know if I can't confirm whether it was from the government, but I'm pretty sure it was, there was a pool of money that went out to influencers um, through a mediator, mediator, sorry. And that was how it came on my desk. And um, yeah, I just, I just really struggled with it. And then after, you know, after six months and then 12 months and then snap lockdown, then, then we're open, then we're closed. I'm just like, it doesn't make sense anymore to me, um, especially once you start banning exercising and gyms and all that kind of stuff. And there was never any talks about getting out in the sun and getting vitamin D and, and eating right. And um, I, know I'm, I know I'm rambling on here, but like when I was stuck in Melbourne for that, that long lockdown in, uh, in, I think it was 21, and one thing I noticed, whenever there was a lockdown, say I would just go to the supermarket to get food or whatever, whenever there was a, a lockdown called, the nights preceding that, the fast food restaurants, the car park was full, absolutely full to the brink. I'm talking the drive-throughs at like my local KFC, which would never be more than four or five cars deep to the highway. And I'm like, okay, so we're in a, we're in a health pandemic, health crisis, and everyone's going to eat, you know, you can eat that every now and then, but that's what people are going to do because obviously they can't afford to cook. They're probably scared to go to the grocery store. So let's just get something quick and easy. That's the mm. government wasn't talking about any of that. And that's when I was like, no, nah, this is something, something's not right here. And um, I just, I just kind of clicked off and, and started, started putting my own views out there and some hated it. Some, some loved it. And you, I mean, obviously you'd be um, the kind of person people would recognize on the street a lot. Have you, what's been the pushback? I mean, have you, have you, you know, I mean, you would have got that before COVID, obviously. People would have recognised you and come up and said, G'day. Um, are you finding now people are really grateful for having another voice out there saying, hang on, what's this all about? I mean, do you, do you get a bit of that? Alex, the amount of people in public that come up to me and say thank you is unbelievable. Um, mm. But if you go on social media, it's opposite. So if you go on social yeah. media, it's, it's generally 
you're a conspiracy theorist, you're an idiot, shut up, blah, 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 blah. But it's it's one person with a thousand accounts. I know for a fact it is because yeah. I, I wait that when I go in public, I've had one person um kind of get into it with me. One. One in the last three years, right? And he was on he was on the drink at a basketball game. Um so being a bit of being a bit of rebellion, right? But when I'm out, that's how I te- I temper. Like come come talk to me. Like or people say, Oh, they're intimidated by you because you're big in this. I'm happy to talk to anyone and I'm happy to I'm happy to hear opposing views and I, I love to have a debate about things. Like if you come up to me and say, what you said was wrong. Let's talk about it. Let's have a chat about it. But if you come up to me like, you know, aggressively and swearing and, and being an idiot, then yeah, I'm going to go back at you the same way. And people are like, oh, you should take the high road. But I definitely gauge it. When I'm out in the community, it's unbelievable. And I appreciate all those people saying thank you. I mean, I'm often out with my wife and kids and, and my wife you know, gets a wry smile when, when people come up and say, you know, thank you for, for doing that. I was in a dark time and it was so nice to hear someone that actually is has a mainstream voice actually going against some of the stuff that was being fed to us because we, we couldn't hear it anywhere else. And, and that's why these forums are important, you know, these podcast forums, and sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but uh, these, these forums are very, very important um, because our, our media here is, is bought and owned by the government, whether it's through direct funding, whether it's through, through grants, whether it's through advertising, right? There's some sort of arm that's going, going to these media companies that, from the government teeth. You, start, you talk about that stuff, like, that's scary stuff, like really scary stuff because the government's starting to see you oh, can't really control social media and podcasts. Let's put in, let's put in the e-safety act. And that to me is another alarming thing we're doing in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I just, I asked the question because, um, I, you know, I've gauged it too. There is an enormous voice out there that, that's just doing something quite different to what the mainstream narrative is doing. And I, and I hear it as well. You know, when I go out in the street and in public, People are telling me a very, very different thing than, than we're hearing on social media, than we're hearing in the mainstream media. If you open up, or if you're foolish enough to open up the newspaper here in, in SA in, in the day, you just seem to get you know, ad after ad after ad for you know, what's real estate or it's you know, whatever you know, salacious issue of the day number one is, but mainly it's get just six the narrative. Booster. You know. that's, that's still trending, yeah. isn't it? It's still got TV yeah, ads for yeah. six booster. Yeah, all of that, all of that. That's right. So. And yet, outside that sphere, you know, you, you, I, I, it gives me a whole lot of comfort to know that people aren't buying it. And so it's just really interesting to hear about it from someone else's point of view. Some, someone who's really high profile hearing it on the street, like, you know, gives you hope, gives you hope. What we've got to do, I think, is raise that voice, uh, find ways to get people to, in their own spheres. I mean, I've been saying it for a long period of time and we're, I'm, you know, I'm doing what I can. Everyone's got their role, right? So I happen to find myself in the privileged position of having this job for, you know, however long. Uh, but throughout COVID. So what do I do to try and do the right thing to try and push back and help where I can? Well, I think my role is speaking about the issues, uh, but also trying to fix politics a bit as well, trying to get people, real people back into politics. One of the problems politics has had generally, I think, is it's become a swamp. Uh, We have people who are just involved in politics. That's all they do. It's all they've ever done. They start and work for politics, politicians, then they go and become the politician, then they go and become a lobbyist, and you get this sort of sway. But it just goes to show how important it is for people uh, in, in other spheres as well and why it's so important that people like you have spoken out about it as well, spoken your mind. I mean, you know, people will say, well, you know, I agree with that, I don't agree with that. But at least that bloke's telling me what That's he good. thinks. No, it's great. You have to, you have, to have yeah. disagreements and discussions. I was longing for, during the COVID period, I was longing for someone to get you know, give me someone that's pro-lockdown, give me someone that's anti-lockdown, and let's have a discussion for an hour on TV. Yeah. You couldn't get it. It's all three-minute, no. you do this, citizen, you do this. You need to do this. The government said do this. Let's have a discussion about it. Let's have a discussion yeah. about, hey, make sure when you, when you get out for, for exercise, you get in the sun a little bit. Hey, make sure when you 
you know, you lock down, get some exercise in at home, you know, all that kind of stuff. There was no discussions on it at all. It was yeah. like, it was dictatorship like, and, and it really bothered me. And these, these forums are hugely important for that. And we just, we don't really have many of these in Australia. I mean, the no, U S is, is, is much bigger. So, you know, Joe Rogan podcast, those kind of podcasts can do it. We, we need to do that in Australia. And I'm, I'm working on something to try and get to that eventually. Um, because I just don't think there's any of these conversations and on the flip side, you can't even get, discerning points of view these days to, to actually have a civil conversation you want you want to have the craziest ideas in the world made public in my opinion this whole yeah. cancelling shadow banning all that kind of stuff you know e-safety officer you can't say this i want i want the crazy guy to say something crazy so i know he's crazy and then i want to <laughs> debate it with him because all that's going to happen is if you don't you know if you don't allow them a voice no matter how crazy and extreme what's going to happen they're going to, they're going to go find other like-minded people that hold their crazy views let's say it's really radical crazy views you're going to find you know six seven eight nine ten fifty of them join their little group it becomes an incel group and then stupid shit happens beyond that like who knows what can happen with terrorism all that kind of stuff you want these views public so the public says hey hang on a second mate like that that thing you said that's that's just crazy you're crazy you can't do that and that's wrong and these are the reasons and then it kind of handles itself in society but the fact that you're going to cancel and, and silence those people um obviously barring you know blatant abuse or any of that stuff is a, is a no-go zone totally. But if it's someone that just has some weird theory about something, you want to debate it. You want them to have that public voice. Yeah, it's, it's sort of it's a slippery slope, isn't it, in a sense, because they always say freedom of speech is not finite. You can't have absolute freedom of speech. You can't have people walking around saying, you know, I want to get that guy, I want to kill that person, I want to do this, I, I hate that group and I'm whatever. But that's sort of the excuse which is used for shutting down genuine debate now, I think you find, and it's... it's um, you know, we saw that with the, the uh, work we did with the Freedom of Information application, which showed that, um, we did this in December of last year, which showed that the Department of Home Affairs were actually actively referring social media posts from Australian citizens back to the social media companies in order to get them pulled down. Of course, using that exact same argument we just talked about, that uh, they, they had that power originally, quite rightly, to shut down um, things like uh, you know, terrorist attacks or whatever, like they had in Christchurch, that horrendous stuff. But then once that power is given, it then gets used to shut down people who abuse, the, you know, or, you know, who have a go at mask mandates or something and actually turn out to be 100% right down the track. So this is the problem, isn't it, with censorship? And we're now seeing it with these new proposed laws the government have got here, uh, Labor government have got here in, in, uh, in Australia federally that's been put out for an exposure draft, which people may or may not be aware of. But to give more powers back to the government to put a code of behaviour on uh, social media companies and, and social media publishers generally. So that would apply to this podcast, to your podcast, um, such that they abide by whatever misinformation or disinformation is, and that's set by the government. So that's a ministry of truth. Like, that. that's horrendous. Uh, and it's specifically designed to allow major, there's a specific definition under the Draft Act, but, but basically major publications and the government to be immune from it. So yeah, exactly. it's basically legitimately yeah. targeting this stuff. Like, uh, so, so the um, government can come out and say something that's just, you know, yeah. wrong, like I, it's going to stop the spread and it doesn't, are they, are they finding themselves? Like mm. it's absolutely bonkers. Mm. Absolutely staggering. And it's, and it's creeping in. Of course, this is a targeted play at exactly what you're saying, that these sort of platforms are, you know, like all, all of people that are talking about things privately, and there's a heap of them. I mean, a lot of people are doing a lot of good stuff out there, but, but they would become um, targets of this uh, ACMA, you know, Australian uh, Communications Media Authority code of practice, which is set by the government. So 
This is happening all over the West. It's happening in, in the UK, it's happening in the Netherlands, it's happening in New Zealand, these similar sorts of, um, similar sorts of plays. Um, you know, like from your perspective, what do you put that down to? I mean, you've seen this from, from the US side of it, but, you know, is there something, you know, is this just simply uh, a trend? Is it a cultural phenomenon or is it a bigger play from big government and, uh, and big corporates? Yeah, I mean, the, the, what, the end game, I have no idea. Um, I mean, there's a lot of theories and rabbit holes you can jump down for, for the end game. There's a lot of people that have an opinion on that, but yeah. I'm playing what's going on now and it's, it's scary. It almost seems like, you know, you look at what the WHO is trying to do with, with, with their, I guess, their policies and when they put out health alerts, they want, they want the whole world to have to follow them, um, kind of like, like a big world government, like a one world government. That's, that's scary in itself because, you know, that means that our local politicians and whatnot have to be dictated to by a, a body that's not even based in Australia. I mean, just that alone is crazy. Um, the, all, the, all these rules they're putting in, the safety commissioner and all that, what people need to realise is you might be in favour of those right now because it's pushed by your political party, but one day your political party is not going to be in power and it's going to be used against you. And that's what people don't realize. And that's, that, that, that was a huge issue throughout communism and throughout all these socialist agendas historically when you read up on them is there were a lot of these, you know, rules put in that were pushed, that were, that were co-signed by the people. Yeah, this is a great rule. It's keeping us safe. And then, you know, you fast forward down the line, it was actually used against our own citizens. And we're seeing that with, um, is, it, is it SA with the freedom of protest? Was it SA yeah. put one in? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they've changed that, the rules here. there. Yep. So. That's going to, you know, okay, right now, let's say you, you vote left or you vote right. So you're Labor and you're like, yeah, Labor put this in. This is great. The, lip, the Libs might be in one day and they've still got that law they can use and they're going to use it against you. Like that, that's what people don't understand. You want to have that freedom. You want to, you want to do it. But it is scary times. And, and, and I guess my concerns are more for my children and grandchildren. Like what's, what's Australia and the world going to look like in another 20, 30 years? Um, yeah. It's a pretty scary question to ask. And on the flip side of that, we do know historically the pendulum swings violently on these things. And I don't think that's a good thing either. I don't, I don't think mm. you want the pendulum to go from where it is now, which is extreme, some of these extreme things that are going on um, in the communities, with kids' schools, with, with all that kind of stuff, some of the agendas being pushed with all that. That's wild on this side. But you don't, also don't want it to swing to back to where we're, you know, labeling everyone, discriminating against everyone as well. Um, but I think that the wings on, on both sides, in my opinion, are the same. So when you look at the far left and the far right, in my opinion, I think they're touching today. I think their ideals are exactly the same. It's yeah. like, oh, you disagree with us? You, you can't horseshoe, shoe, isn't it? They meet yeah, in the middle. Yeah, it literally is. Yeah. And, but you can't tell people on the far left, which is cheek right now, that the left is, is in power basically worldwide, which is, which is fine. And, and just for the record, that there's some things on the left that I agree with. Like there's some things that on the, not the far left, on the left, and there's things on the right. And I think every person should have that. As soon as you go... I'm team Labor, so I believe everything Labor says. Or I'm team Liberal, I'm everything they say. And no, no, you, you should be able to criticize your own party too. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. So I just find it funny that you know those those wings on both sides they have the same ideals and they have the same tax on on, on discrimination and, and and people and and how they handle things. And, and that's really disappointing. I mean, it's because yeah, I made the same point about um, social media because really social media at the moment is. It, mostly, I would say, maybe other than Twitter now, um, leaning and get away from the conservative side of politics and, and, and the sort of the centre right, even it's lent towards the left. But you know, I made this observation a couple of times in in Parliament. Like, it, 
that swings exactly that argument that swings so everyone that's championing this you know well misinformation we've got to shut down the conservative voices and all that sort of stuff you only have to look at what happened in twitter and you can see how things can flip very quickly if the mechanism's there or the machine's there to censor people so it's a massive issue i, I just don't think anyone across the west has has come to terms with this yet i've, I've been pushing for um, you, you know inquiries into social media and the influence on an australian democracy if you think about having foreign companies dictating terms through the Australian discourse and the debate, it's a frightening proposition. Have you have you experienced? I mean, the answer will be yes. I'm no doubt about it. But how much, perhaps, should I say, shadow banning and censorship have you have you faced on uh, on social media? Is there have you had posts taken down? Uh, yes, Instagram uh, is the one that went went after me numerous times. I posted a um, I posted a screenshot from the Victorian government website about gender affirmation about um, mm. how. Some along the lines of that teachers don't have to tell their parents um, about a kid potentially transitioning and they can keep separate pronouns for them at school and not let their parents know. I posted a screenshot of it from the government website and I got flagged as false information. So I was like, what the hell is going on? How is it? This is from the government website. So mm. um, I, I went on a rabbit hole to find out who RMIT Fact Labs were. I found every mm -hmm. one of them. Um, this is this person, they, they're going to tell, you know, they're saying this is false information, blah, blah, blah. So I went after every, every one of them individually. And then I got a tip that you can actually email them and get a, get a reason why it was pulled. So I found, the, I found the email and I emailed them and said, can you please give me some context on why this was pulled? Here's the link from the government website. Here's a screenshot. Wrote back and said, um, oh, yeah, sorry, this was an accident. The algorithm accidentally removed it for you. And I'm like, like and this is constantly happening with a lot of my posts. So I don't really go on Instagram too much because of that. Um, I mainly use it because of my podcast, so I can promote mm. some short clips on there, but Instagram's heavy. Twitter was, um, it's gotten a little bit better now. I think there's still some, some shadow banning going on on Twitter, I believe, mm. but Instagram is crazy. Like you can't even search my name sometimes. Um, and I think I still yeah. have, I'm not sure if I still have it, but interested to see if your listeners can go on there and have a look. But when you click my name to follow, I believe it says this person has posted uh, um, false information in the past. Are you sure you want, you really sure you want to follow them? So. <laughs> Um, on top of that, I got, I got letters from the Victorian Electoral Commission uh, at one point um, right. for mm. posting a video that was a, a parody spoof of the Victorian government chime when they were leading into COVID updates, that, that ding, ding, ding. And someone made a spoof video of it. I got a VEC letter saying that I'm in, I'm in some trouble because I didn't put a statement of declaration at the end of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a pol you know, that thing that says brought to you by blah, blah, blah from camp. I'm like, I'm not a politician, number one. Um, I'm just an average citizen, right? I like to think. Um, and there actually was a declaration when you clicked the link, it went to a, to a third party website. But, but they sent me a letter on that. And I'm just like, are you serious? This is what you're doing? So, and then the VEC wants to say they're, you know, they're not, they're not either side. You know, yeah. uh, when, it, yeah. when it comes to the government and labor and liberal with the upcoming election, I'm like, here you are. You clearly are. Like, why are you sending me this letter for? I, I never said yeah. go and vote for anyone, go and vote for this, go and vote for that. Neither did the video. It just pointed out. They're saying, oh, it's election material and well, I'm not running. So I mean, you'd be better suited to, to answer as to why I got that. But that was, that was kind of crazy. That's one of the tactics I reckon now that's used more often. We saw it with uh, like play like opera with doctors. They would, they would sort of effectively suspend a doctor during COVID and almost take him out of the game uh, and then have the investigation afterwards when, you know, the whole thing was done. And, you know, often people would be just exonerated or moved on or, you know, I don't know all of the details of it, but that kind of you know, heavy bureaucratic handedness 
is just I don't remember it in in maybe I was less involved in the political landscape ten years ago or whatever, but it just it feels like we feel more surveilled than we ever have been. We feel more monitored, uh, and I've had long-standing concerns about um, surveillance and the rise of digital currencies, the rise of a digital ID. Um, you're obviously in that space, but do, do people out there when you talk to them are they kind of are people aware of Potentially, what's coming down the line with C, uh, you know central bank digital currencies and digital ID legislation—that's almost on us, by the way. That, that digital ID legislation will hit the parliament before this term is over. Uh, and there are those out there that say, once that's in place with a digital currency, you can kiss your freedom goodbye. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's one of the biggest issues going around at the moment, and all people in parliament when I go there are talking about is the voice. Um, do you get that feeling on the street? Do people are, are people aware of this stuff? I am. I mean, people are. Um, I don't think people realise how bad it can get when you do that. Um, so an example would be: we have another pandemic. They can they can turn you off. Just get turned off. You know. Um, and you only have so we've much. Seen, we've seen all of that. We saw it in Canada, didn't we? We saw it with the Freedom Rally. Yeah. I mean, that's effective. That was the little beta test. That's effectively what happened. And it's that's scary. Um, that's scary. And and you know the old. I won't use the derogatory word, where do we call ourselves, Alex, but the old European adage was the, the cash under the mattress. The reason why they yeah. did that was because, because of the communist state they lived in. Often, yeah. you know, funds would just disappear. Um, funds yeah. would be confiscated. Funds would be taken. And I'll give you a real-world example. I tweeted about this a couple of days ago. My kids were in a basketball camp um, uh, a couple of days ago, and my wife and I stay and watch. We're, we're, you know, we're not one of those drop-off and leave just because trust issues. Kids are six and four. You never know these days, right? So. Yes. Um, we, we, my wife did the first day of it and the canteen, there's a canteen there and, or, or, or a cafe and uh, kids have like a lunch break and a, and a, and a morning tea break. Um, morning tea break comes and the, my wife goes to get that kid's food. All, all the kids go to buy food. Cafe says we don't take cash. This cafe, uh, sorry, this camp is from f- kids from four to 14. How many of them you think had a bank card or a credit card? Not many, right? So these poor kids could not buy food mm. or drink at this cafe because they would not take cash. So my wife, God bless her, like basically didn't even want their coins, just put it all on her card for all the kids there that were waiting in line, just buying them food and chips and drinks and whatever. Yeah. That's a real example of, of yeah. direct, it's a direct effect. So we're we gonna expect now kids to have a credit card and debit card with them at four, five, six years old. Like, yeah. come on, like yeah. gone are the days of you can give your kid a gold coin and go buy some lollies in a milk bar. And that's scary as well. Um, I think cash is super important. We have to keep cash in play. Uh, for a number of reasons, but yeah, once everything goes digital, especially with the way the banking world goes with the crisis and, and everything going on uh, around the world economically, and then obviously the you know, a lot of the shenanigans that happen with um, cryptocurrency and all that. I mean, I think some of it, some of it was was obviously horrendous, but I think the government loves that the fact that the cryptocurrency has kind of fallen over the way it has um, to an extent. Besides Bitcoin, they like that because, like, say, so we told you, come to our, come to our central digital you know, central bank currency, right? Like our, our one's protected, it's from the government. So they've, they've got a good play and a, a nice little segue to getting to what they want the people to buy into. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And there are those real world examples. They're sort of, we're getting conditioned, I suppose, to just expect to have your card. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've paid with anything in cash, probably during COVID, to be honest, where, you know, I'm sort of, Sick and tired of being, uh, you know, being exposed to this sort of surveillance uh, and whatever it was with your QR codes. I mean, it's incredible that Aussies have just 
adopted. It's one of the things the Americans talk about when you, when you speak to them about they can't believe that you, we were checking in everywhere and we were doing this mm. and we were doing that. But th this is the future. This is where it's going. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting real-world no example. wouldn't even take a, a physical uh, certificate during yeah. COVID. Yeah, that's right. Like a vaccination. That's there right. places that would not allow you to bring a printed one because like, you could have forged it. You have to have it on your phone. Yeah, yeah. right. You can see it. But I mean, talking about, I mean, you, this is all the stuff that you and I are probably reading out there. And as you say, it's, you know, you know getting, getting real authentic news that's not down a rabbit hole is really challenging these days. I, I don't know when the last time you turned the free to air on, uh, or um, for me, I just, the TV just doesn't go on anymore. I don't use it. I might as well pull the aerial out. I, I spent a little bit of time on social media, just looking at people whose aerials were hanging out and posting them just because I thought, well, these are people that are smart, uh, just for a little sight gag. But it's actually true. I don't watch it anymore. The challenge is finding the right news. Where do you get yours from? Like, what, what, what do you, you know, what, what do you look for? Do you have any, you know, sites that people would be interested in, you think are credible, that are good, that people are, you know, uh, that, that you read and anything, you, you know, you think that people would be interested in? I don't have any sites. I, I generally follow people on, on, on social media. Um, I think that there's a lot of writers now that, that run their own forums and, and have their own uh, platforms that they post on. Um, so I, yeah. I kind of, you know, like a Substack type model. I follow yeah, a lot of Substack, people that are on yeah. Substack and write long form articles on different things. Um, yeah. I follow a lot through podcasts. I, I think the Joe yeah. Rogan podcast is great because he has a vast yeah. array of, of guests that have different you know, skill sets and different thoughts on things. So I try to, you know, try to tune into a lot of his stuff. Um, but yeah, your point with the mainstream media, my advice to anyone that, and this is crazy, like the older generation still, you know, I was one of those people growing up. So my father would come home from work and he'd be home by 5.36, we'd have dinner and then we'd watch the news. It was just the thing we did. And yeah. they would react to the news. Look at this idiot. Oh, how does that happen? Oh, bloody government ripping us off again, blah, 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 blah. Whatever was fed from the news was gospel. And God bless them, they didn't know any better at that point, right? Um, that's a lot of the older generation still. That's how they're getting their news. So my advice to anyone watching mainstream news is try to get both sides of, 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 of the news and then you got to make your own decision um you get you get the left version so maybe an abc and then more of the conservative right maybe a sky news watch both versions of it then you still can't take them for gospel you got to kind of form your own view with it that that's my advice for mainstream but mine's mainly social media and, and podcasts and um, there's a lot of information out there and um i think these days we live in a society with probably too much information but the good thing about that is you can research and deep dive anything online and I um I highly influence people to or encourage people to to jump online if they've got if you want to want to learn, learn a skill, Alex. It's amazing. You can just jump on YouTube and watch a video and learn a skill. So we we are in a, a really good time as far as that goes, and we kind of forget about that because there's a lot of negatives of social media, but um it can be used as a as a positive as well. Yeah, it is, there's a lot of info out there, as you say. We don't you know we want it limited as little as possible but uh but it is it is frustrating that those old sources uh, just are so i didn't vary i think i mean the classic example of that for mine was in the last couple of weeks i know you spoke to a british cardiologist uh, dr asim malotra and uh, i listened to that podcast and I, I had a chat to him as well on this one and he was anything like anything goes questions happy to take them all answered everything um Credible as you like, in my view. I mean, just a guy that had a lot of knowledge and a lot of political awareness as well, which is that intersection you need, I think. It's not, you know, a skill like cardiology is not just a skill. You've got to understand the bigger picture. And I think it's just nice to have people like out there, him out there. I think he was an incredibly interesting person. He gave 
Um, I think he gave a talk up up your way and he gave one down here in Norwood in the town hall. Packed out, absolutely packed the rafters. Another example of people seeking different information. But no run in the media, nothing, nothing. I mean, the number of times you'd pack out the Norwood town hall here in, in, in SA, you know, minimal, absolutely nobody. The only article that we made the mainstream paper here was a, a few days ago when one of the guests was uh, our deputy governor. Uh, and that became a story that he would turn up and listen to, you know, an eminent cardiologist. And I, like, that was the only mention of the whole thing uh, in the paper. And, you know, I just, I I thought to myself, look, you know, this has got to be, this has got to be indicative, doesn't it, of just how one speed this this news has become. I'm the same, by the way. People ask me that question. That's why I asked you, because people ask me that question, where do you get your news from? Largely, it's just people you follow on social media, you know, and then they link you to an article and then you do it some substacks. Um, but it's a real challenge, I reckon. And uh, if that's shut down through this new or, you know, or controlled through this new legislation, which it could be, then I think we're really going another gear in terms of censorship. And that's a real that's a real issue. But um, I, don't, I, I, I guess um, just in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, journalists, have you I mean, <laughs> Do you get inquiries and, and how do you deal with them when you, when you get them from regular journalists? Yeah, we get a little bit. Um, we get a little bit, but, you know, a lot of the mainstream stuff is kind of tapered down um, just because I'm probably a no-go zone for a lot of people, probably on, some, on a few government lists, um, but yeah. not too worried about it. I'd rather go on podcasts and have these long-form discussions. Like no, one, yeah, no one's ever, you know, I've worked for some media companies before and I've done, done articles for certain newspapers and, it's all just about clickbait and headlines. Nothing. There's no depth in any of those articles, um, yeah. and, and and it really bothers me. So I, I stopped working with a few of them just based on that because I was getting clickbaited yeah. and, and taking out quotes out of context and putting my name to yeah. them. Um, so yeah. I just yeah I, I get I get some inquiries every now and then. Um, I try to vet them. As, all the people I have working for me, we try to vet them as much as we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I agree with you. I, I long for the. Where is the journalist with a trench coat and the cigarette or, or cigar in his mouth that would just dig, 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 dig? And, and really get to the bottom of things. They're gone, long gone. And I, I long for them. I really do. I, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the Cluedo types, right? Like just like, yeah. hmm, that, that, that's a bit strange. I'm going to dig there. I'm going to go interview, I'm going to interview both sides of this, of this topic yeah. or of this, what's, uh, whatever's going there's, on. There's a handful the of them still out there. There's still a few here and there, but, but most of them are people like Matt Talibi on uh, formerly of Rolling Stone, who had the integrity to just get up and say, oh, "This is not what I use. this is not what I signed up for." Or the mainstream Michael Schillenberger. Alex? Any in the mainstream was, in Australia? Any in the mainstream? Well, I, I, I'm going to say uh, there are a few. Uh, Adam Crichton, I think from the Oz, has been really good on COVID. Really, really good. Yeah. I, I really rate him. I think he's been excellent. Uh, and Frank Chung from uh, from News.com has been excellent. And there's a few, like a few that write for the Spectator, Rebecca Barnett, and uh, a couple of the Oz who who've got it, but. You know, once again, they're niche markets. Like people are not getting this stuff in them. In them, you know, when they open their broad form, you're spot on. Most of them are clickbait. You know, you go to any of the any of the broad form uh, websites now, and all you know, for some reason, they seem to be obsessed by OnlyFans. You know, it's just it's you know why? Because you know, it's just immediately people click on it, your numbers go up. So it's I think people have to make that connection now that that what they used to say was a, a style of journalism now is really just you know, salacious entertainment more than anything and, uh, and, and, you know, get that news from, from, from somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just the only way now, I think. Uh, um, but uh, now on the subject of, of day-to-day stuff, what is it? I mean, you, you have back to sport for a minute. You've lived 
pretty much you know every Aussie sports kid's dream being in the NBA. Number one draft pick, by the way, in 2005, I think, for Milwaukee. Yep. Um, it's an amazing ride. It's an incredible journey. It must have been like pretty, pretty special. Just, I'm just, I, you know, we're, we're talking politics a little bit here, but just what was that like? Like, I, I, probably hard to, to sort of encapsulate, but that must have been a dream. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a dream. Um, you know, I, I look at it as the, it was a unicorn. Um, I, mm. my, my whole goal as a kid was to play professional basketball. It wasn't to play in the NBA. It was just, if anyone gives me money to play in their league, I'm there. Um, and the NBL was was probably what I thought be my ceiling as a young fella, right? Like if I can get to the NBL, play in front of friends and family, great. I'd give me money, give me a hundred grand a year, I'll play, right? Um, and then as my journey kind of kept going, um, got older and older, went to college and all that, it, my, my star kept getting bigger. And, and then within you know three-year process, I kind of went from somewhat a nobody that no one had heard of, even in Australia at times, to the number one pick. It happened so quickly. And... Um, I'd be crazy to say that I thought the NBA was a realistic pathway dream mm. for me. You know, um, it was it was a unicorn and and it ended up working out. But yeah, I mean, look, my, my career a lot of ups and downs, good and bad, great years, bad years, and that's what makes them. You remember those those tough times, those good times. Um, dealt with injuries at times, bounced back from them, came back and made a championship run with 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 what you know, two of the best shooters of all time, instead of Curry and Clay Thompson. Um, came back and, and, and actually played in the NBL for a couple of seasons towards the end of my career when I was well, kind of banged up, washed up, but got, got two good years out in the NBL. So, you know, all that kind of stuff, just they're great memories. And, and, you know, I have the trophies and I have all that stuff, but those, those don't, don't really mean anything to me. Um, what they mean to me is looking at them and bringing back the memory. They're a memory job. So seeing that stuff and then, oh, I remember that, remember when that happened this season. Oh, that was a tough year because of this. So, that's kind of what I reminisce with my kids when I talk to them about them. Cause you know, kids look at it as a physical thing. Oh wow. You've got a trophy. You try to explain to them. It's, it's not, it's not the trophy, not the, the physical being of the trophy. It's, it's what, where it sets your mind to and where it takes you back to and where, where it takes you emotionally. And I think um, I've been more than blessed with everything that's worked out. Um, people look at me and say, Oh, you had an injury riddle career at times and could have been better if you weren't hurt so much and all that kind of stuff. But I say, I say the ultra, the opposite. Um, you know, played 14, 15 years professionally, dealt with injuries, fought through every one of them, was told I was, you know, not going to play again a couple of times with a few of my injuries. I wouldn't have the same capabilities with, with an arm injury I had or an ankle injury and, mm. and prove the doctors wrong and, and kept pushing forward. So I, I can't fault anything that I've done. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, and I appreciate, you know, everyone supporting kind of my journey and, and getting there. Yeah, massive ride. Must be unbelievable. And uh, what does it look like now, day to day? Like, you know, you know, you sort of what, what are you thirty eight now? Thirty eight, yeah. Yeah. What does what does day to day life look like now? I mean, do you do you, you know sort of you know, obviously business interests and podcasting and you know just routine stuff? But you know, what 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 does a day in the life of an ex NBA star look like? Yeah, I I strategically didn't want to get involved in a nine to five um, and don't need to. So I'm in the good position of being able to manage all my own, I manage all my own finances. Um, I invest pretty heavily in the VC startup world, uh, both in Australia and the US. Managed to create a pretty good network over there with some, some really good people that I get involved with some funds that they do. Um, I'm a minority owner of the Sydney Kings at the moment uh, with in the NBL. So when the NBL season's on, which is our summer, I'm, I'm usually flying back and forth to Sydney a fair bit and going to those games. That takes a lot of time. Uh, we just hired a head coach last last week, so that took a lot of time interviewing candidates and whatnot, putting our roster together right now, 
that takes some time. And I'm full time dad. I, I love being around, being able to come home to the kids. I mean, kids are probably like struggling to figure out why I'm always home compared to other dads. But uh, you know, <laughs> my wife and I don't work and don't need to work full time, thankfully. So I enjoy being around the kids. This is the most vital time of their life at four and six. So the more I can be around at, at home, and once they start getting to those teenage years where they don't want to be around you, you got to kind of take a backward step and. <laughs> I do that, um, and then yeah, the podcast stuff. So I'm going to ramp that up in the next um, for the next couple of months. Just finished building a studio uh, close to me here, and which I'm in right now, which is bare bones, but it's it's getting there. And and then we'll uh, ramp up and actually have a proper, hopefully a proper forum that we can have guests on. I've got a vast network of of, of influential guests and people, and some famous, some not, that have great stories. I'd love to get them on and just have, and I'd I'd love if there is. Well, will it? Will there be probably another pandemic or another lockdown of some sort that when when those moments come, having I'd love to get conflicting views in my studio to talk. I'd love to yeah. do that, and I think that's very important for um for society. Yeah, no, it's a good thing to do. And uh, look, mate, I just you know, thank you for being a voice in the in the you know in the sort of the the you know celebrity you know sports world. I think it's really really important. I say it all the time. You know, it's one thing to get good voices in politics, but we've got to be doing that all across our community, whether it's professional bodies, uh, you know, uh, school boards, what well, you name it, we need those voices out there. So, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've done us uh, ex-Yugoslav, expat uh, types, very well proud and uh, not bad, not bad for a couple of, uh, you know, second generation Yugoslav boys, we've done all right. So there you go. <laughs> sort of Appreciate flying it, the flag for speaking common sense. That's it. Need more. Yeah, no, good on you. And uh, thanks for coming on and um, really appreciate your time and, uh, and all your efforts. So keep it up. No worries. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, mate.